Okay, hello everybody, and welcome to Investing with IBD, sponsored by Fidelity. It's Wednesday, June 9th, and on today's show, our special guest is Joe Fami. He is managing director of Zora Capital. I'm Ali Quorum, along with Justin Nielsen, and on today's show, we are going to dig in with Joe about some precedents that might uh, give us some clues as to what might happen next in the market. We're also going to look at the toolbox that you need to help improve your odds of success, and we're going to wrap it up with a couple trade ideas. Joe, thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, great to have you back. Arusha had his turn. Now it's uh, the, our turn, Justin and I. Yeah, uh, and just, you know just what, go Joe? go easy on me. Yeah, I, I, I feel <laughs> like there's almost this... Uh, this you know turn in the markets that happens when you're on IBD Live because you know you were on IBD Live when there was a follow through. Um, I didn't realize that last time you were on the podcast it was March third, which was kind of the bottom of this latest little correction that we've had uh, in the in the Nasdaq. So I didn't uh, I didn't know that either. So hopefully this will uh, lead to the next leg higher. That's that's there what I'm go. hoping. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That would be awesome. So speaking of guys, let's talk about the current market. I'll go ahead and pull up if you're watching the video version of this podcast, a chart of the S&P 500, which has really just seen a smooth and steady run after that test of the 50 day line. But Joe, if you take a step back, uh, it hasn't been smooth sailing largely for the market this year with the split action that we've had and growth stocks really taking a break. Yeah, that's a good point. We've essentially been in two different markets. Uh, usually all the averages move together, uh, but growth as seen in the NASDAQ has been in a correction over the past few months. But the other sectors, such as financials, energy, retail, materials, and so forth, have been in strong uptrends as seen in the S&P 500. So usually they move together, but it's been challenging for growth stock traders uh, because the NASDAQ has been in a correction. And it kind of makes sense because the market's a discounting mechanism. So it tends to trade on what's going to happen six to nine months from now. So growth was strong last year with a lot of the work from home stocks doing well and software and so forth. And then while that's been correcting with the economy opening up, the stocks that are benefiting from that have been in strong uptrends in the S&P 500. Now, I guess uh, what's what's kind of interesting is that we've been a little bit range bound here. And so in that regard, it almost seems like the S&P 500, as it's been getting back towards its uh, high territory, uh, it seems like the NASDAQ and Russell 2000 have been showing a little bit more relative strength in the last week. Um, is this is this something that, you know, you think could be uh, another leg for for the growth again or uh, is this just kind of keeping in that range bound uh, sense? And have we just gotten extended from our last uh, pullback area? No, that's a great point. I like to say after stocks and indexes or indices make big moves, it's perfectly normal for them to consolidate. So you have the Russell 2000 up. If you click on a weekly chart, uh, let's remember it really went nowhere for two years and just started to break out of this range and it made a nice move and I'd like to consider it maybe even like a second stage base or a consolidation that we've been in. Um, but as your, your point is, uh, we had a big move and it was normal to digest that. And now we could be setting up for another move higher. Uh, what I like on the Russell is we've had a couple of tight closes within that base. And then we got back above the 50 day. 
So that's nice to see that. And it's also an area of risk appetite where people traffic uh, the big institutions like to buy some of the small and mid cap stocks. If they're accumulating shares in those stocks, it's a good sign for the market of rather than the blue chip conservative names, they're, they're trafficking and, and accumulating some of the more riskier names. So it's a risk on play. And just as a follow-up, are there any signs that you look for to tell us that we're kind of breaking out of our range um, versus, oh, you know what, we're getting to the top again, maybe expect a pullback, we might need more time? Yeah, that's a great question. I like to dig into the stocks beneath the surface. So as part of my daily routine, I first of all start with the NASDAQ and look at where we are in the NASDAQ. Um, and there were a couple of tight weeks. We're getting back towards that 14,000. On the weekly chart, four and five weeks ago, there was a couple of tight weeks beneath the 10-week, showing institutional accumulation. Then we regained that 10-week with two more tight weeks. And the reason I like to break down the weekly charts is because those tight weeks are um, a sign of institutional accumulation. So, uh, But to directly answer your question, I like to look at if stocks are setting up if they're breaking out of bases, and that's going to give me the encouragement that we could eventually break out of the range. And another potential clue for where we might be headed next can potentially lie in looking at historical examples. And that's something that you're really good at, Joe. So what does the current market environment now remind you of in, in terms of past market cycles that we've had? Yeah, there's, there's three quick analogies. So the basic point is after a big year in the NASDAQ, which is what we had in 2020, it's perfectly normal to consolidate for a while. And eventually what happens when we get out of that range is another strong uptrend. So three quick examples. If you can pull up 1995, maybe just punch in 1997. So we can and, and look at the weekly chart there so we can see what happened. The first example is 95 was a tremendous year for the NASDAQ. It was up 40%. And then what happened was we consolidated for a little while during 96. And then we started in September of 96 with a strong bull market that eventually led into that very strong bull market and in the late 90s. So that's one example. The second quick example is 2003. If you want to punch in 2005, so we can take a look at that move. It was a, another big year for the NASDAQ in 2003, 50% year followed by a seven-month consolidation in 2004. And then coming out of that was a strong year to a year end starting in September. But it wasn't super strong, but there was a point I want to make for individual stock traders is there were a lot of great stocks when Apple and Google and Research in Motion and Hansen, which is now Monster Energy and Taser, which is now Axon. Those are just tremendous, tremendous names in individual stocks. And then the third quick example is 2009. If you want to pull up 2011, perfect. Um, 2009, 44% year, followed by a correction in 2010. We had a flash crash in May. And then that follow through day, September 1st, 2010, when Ben Bernanke announced QE2 at Jackson Hole. And then to end that year was a 35, roughly percent move into early 2011. That's when Priceline and LVS and Chipotle had tremendous gains. So the analogy to this year is 2020 was a 44% year, similar to those other three precedents, about 40 to 50%. The consolidation we're having now is perfectly normal. And what will eventually come out of this is most likely another strong uptrend with some great opportunities for growth investors. 
well, that would definitely be nice, but what eventually happens if the precedent doesn't hold? What do you, what do you do then? Do you look for a, a different precedent if we, if the result of this isn't another move higher? That's a great question. I wasn't prepared for it not working out. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I mean, obviously, I like to use the 10 week as I don't like to predict too much, but I like to use the 10 week as a guide. So in fairness, if we do break down, we see distribution and we end up failing from here, then yes, you have to manage risk. And it would mean that, you know, a precedent is just nice to look at historically, just to try to give you a feel for what could happen. But as we know, there's no guarantees. And, and uh, you also have to manage risk and just take it day by day. But at least it gives a little bit of encouragement that again, after a big move, a nice consolidation is normal. And hopefully we can emerge to a new high and we'll see what happens. That's kind of a recurring theme, right? With uh, a lot of when you're buying a stock, of course, a lot of times we're going off this precedent of what these best performing stocks have looked like, you know, time and time again. And so it does set, set up that expectation. But just as you said, Joe, you, there's there's that risk management that you have to do when it doesn't meet your expectation. Uh, you have to have those rules in place to basically say, okay, you know what? It didn't do what I expected. Um, now, now, how do I make sure I cut my loss quick enough to where I don't get hurt and I can come back? That's a great point because someone asked me one time with a cup with handle, what happens when it fails? I mean, that's a a statistical pattern that traditionally can lead to something going higher, but as we know, they can fail, and that's why you have stops in place in case those patterns don't work out. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's not, it's an odds game. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, speaking of putting the odds in your favor, when we come back, we are going to talk about how to build out your toolbox of different things that you can do to make sure that you are putting those probabilities in your favor. So we'll get more into that after the break. Fidelity Investments is hiring licensed financial professionals now. Reach your career goals with the support of a financial lender impacting customers and employees' lives for over 70 years. We're hiring now with remote roles nationally. So if you thrive on helping others, if you're self-motivated, find career growth at Fidelity. Find stability you can count on. Find the flexibility you want and the opportunities you need. Find your Fidelity. Visit series7.fidelitycareers.com. Fidelity is an equal opportunity employer. Welcome back to Investing with IBD, sponsored by Fidelity. It's Justin Nielsen, along with my co-host, Ali Coram, and our special guest today, Joe Fami. Now, Joe, you've been at this for a pretty long time. We're not going to say how long, but uh, that's given you a lot of tools to put in your toolbox. And a lot of times we focus a lot on the technical action, but you've got a lot more at your disposal that you're looking at when you're making decisions on you know, an individual stock versus your portfolio versus the markets in general. Can you share some of those tools that you use, maybe, uh, you know, beyond the technicals? Sure. And it, it kind of feeds off of your last point that the market is a probability game and you're trying to do everything in your favor to increase your probabilities of success. So I'm a big fan of using everything in the toolbox to help those probabilities. It's not just the technicals, which I'm a big chart reader and I love using the technicals, but I wanna also combine the fundamentals. There are some people who are only market technicians and then there are some people who are only fundamental. And I'm saying, why not use both to help your probabilities of success? And then as you alluded to from doing this for a while, you pick up on some things, you pick up on seasonality certain times of the year where you might want to step on the gas a little bit or maybe ease up a little bit. 
Um, I'm a big fan of sentiment as a secondary measure because of that whole statement that the market tends to fool the majority. So you want to know when it can be a little bit too extremely bullish or maybe extremely bearish. And then one other thing I like to use is unusual option activity, which is something I've implemented in my work because I have found it to be very helpful, especially in strong markets because of liquidity. I feel that a lot of the big institutions are using options to get into positions. So it's nice to follow that again to help your probabilities. Yeah, so let's dig into some of those things that you use. First of all, on the fundamental side, when people are new to analyzing companies, it might seem a little bit overwhelming looking at the quarterly reports and, and digging into the numbers or it, certain industry groups. You have uh, you know, biotechs. It can be a, a little confusing sometimes. So what would be your advice to people who are just starting to wrap their heads around digging a little bit more deeper into that? fundamental analysis instead of just maybe using the chart or, you know, some ratings and uh, then making their, their stock picks from there and going a little bit deeper. Yeah. With, um, with regular, with comp, I don't see regular companies as if the biotechs are not, but with your traditional companies, <laughs> they are special. <laughs> yes. With traditional companies, I like to use some of the uh, criteria of the greatest winners throughout history. So I use MarketSmith and I just like to punch up a chart. And one of the biggest criteria of what led to uh, the biggest winners throughout history are earnings and sales growth, specifically 30% or more earnings and sales growth in their most recent quarter. So that's just a basic fund fundamental thing. We don't, as an individual trader and retail traders, we don't have the uh, resources to interview CEOs and visit companies and so forth. So at least you can look at the numbers to help your probabilities. And the stronger the earnings and sales growth, the better. Also, if they're accelerating over the past two or three quarters, that's another criteria of some of the greatest winners. And also if their profit margins are expanding, it makes common sense. If your profit margins expand, your earnings will expand as well. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, one of the things I use with traditional companies. With some of the other ones that might not have the earnings and sales like biotech, I like to look at what are the uh, what some of the smart uh, funds are, are holding. So I dig through 13F filings. And then I also think there are great free resources. I use Yahoo Finance just because there's a lot of stories that you guys put out that other uh, publications put out like Barron's and so forth, where you can really dig into fundamentally what some of these companies do. Is there anything that you do, uh, especially because, you know, to your point about the fundamentals, what we've seen lately is a lot of these cyclical stocks, you know, the yeah. oils, the materials, uh, things that, you know, don't have the earnings and they've been doing very well. Uh, what, what do you kind of do on that top level industry analysis or, you know, big broad trend in order to kind of identify, hey, this is, this makes sense that something would be happening here. And of course, a lot of times the earnings aren't going to show up for, you know, a quarter or two uh, down the road. Yeah, sometimes the technicals are strong ahead of the fundamental stories. And sometimes, for example, in 2007, I had great exposure to a lot of commodity related stocks because oil went from 50 to 150. And a lot of analysts did not have in their model that insane profit expansion that were not just in oil service, but in aluminum and coal and steel and uh, especially some of the fertilizer stocks and right. so forth that were benefiting from higher commodity prices. So what I like to say is when I screen every night and go through charts, you start to pay attention to the sectors that are showing up. 
So after a while, a light bulb should go off and say, wow, 10 or 20 of the 50 stocks on my list were energy names or 10 or 20 were semiconductors. So when I'm screening, I'm trying to pay attention to those sectors to hopefully help me lead into getting involved in some of those next leading sectors. Mm -hmm. And when there's a stock that checks off all of the boxes on your list, the fundamental criteria, the technical criteria, what then brings it to the next level of really giving you that conviction? I mean, it, it's a variety of things, I'm sure, but what would you say takes it to that next level for you? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I like to really use the technicals and dig into weekly charts, look at the big volume. A lot of people forget that it is the big institutions that control the markets, your big mutual funds like Fidelity, your big pension funds, your big hedge funds, they're buying hundreds of thousands, if not millions of shares of stock, and they can't hide their hands, so to speak. So if I find a great fundamental story, I want to combine it with technicals to make sure it's being accumulated by those big institutions and then use a nice consolidation, some of the nice technical patterns that coincide with the greatest winners throughout history. If you're buying stocks emerging out of bases, again, that's going to help your probability of success because statistically that's when they're ready to, when the train's ready to leave the station, so to speak. So when they're ready to move to new highs. And on that same topic of, you know, kind of those, those odds things and statistics, um, you also mentioned uh, seasonality and sentiment. Uh, how, how do you use those uh, or, or what, what sources do you look at to kind of gauge uh, the, the sentiment? And again, what is your experience with seasonality to help you make the, some of those decisions? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. And I, I like to use it as a secondary measure. So seasonality, I have found that extreme bearish sentiment works a little bit better than extreme bullish sentiment. Mm. Um, I like to look at the put to call ratios, specifically the equity put to call ratios, because the index tends to be hedging, but when they're buying specific puts on, on equities, that's more directional. I like to look at NAAIM, the Active Investment Manager Surveys, AAII, Investors Intelligence, CNN Fear Greed, Ned Davis has great research that I subscribe to. So I like to look at a conglomerate or an aggregate of the whole thing to give me a feel for if we're extremely bullish or extremely bearish and use that uh, as, uh, as maybe a contrarian uh, indicator, especially when they get very negative. And then what would you say is maybe the most underrated tool in the toolbox that you're, you're glad that you have that you feel like investors out there aren't really paying enough attention to and, and maybe could, could use with flexing that muscle a little bit or understanding how, how they can incorporate that into their analysis? Yeah, two things. Going back to the seasonality thing, there are times of the year, I don't want to say sell in May and go away and so forth, but you know, August and September tend to be difficult months because a lot of people are on vacation. So that's something where I do want to pay attention. Obviously, if stocks are setting up, that overrides everything, but I want to pay attention to those times that tend to be a little more volatile or how December, especially that last week, tends to be one of the strongest weeks of the year. So seasonality is one. And then the second thing would be unusual option activity that I follow through different resources, again, as a secondary measure to find out what some big institutions are doing. For example, Carl Icahn made $2 billion on Netflix a year, a few years back and took it for a big move, but he got into his position through the options market. 
And that's my, and so when they're buying 2,000, 3,000 contracts, those are things that are unusual that might stick out to also help your probabilities. Uh, do you think that options idea is something that's gotten more traction? I mean, especially in the last 20 years with the decentralization of the exchanges, um, you know, you, you, you know, I mean, once decimalization happened, you have a lot of things that kind of fragmented that. And so is that just an easier way for them to do, you know, they used to do the block shares and that's just seems like it's harder to do since we went more electronic. That's a great point. I find that they're doing it to uh, not only hide their hand a little bit, but for liquidity right. reasons. So if you wanted to buy 2 million shares, you might buy whatever the equivalent is, 2000, whatever the options are, whatever the math is. But uh, it's also for liquidity purposes. And it's also ways to get involved in positions without, as you said, because of decimalization and so forth, it can be a little bit more difficult uh, because I think they also changed some of the exchange rules, which the amount of shares that market makers had to provide. So sometimes getting those larger blocks can be difficult. So some of the hedge funds especially are doing it through the options market. And I have found it to be, uh, as you said, volumes are, are, are skyrocketing on the options exchanges. And I found it to be helpful to pay attention to that. Now, you also, you, you have a lot of indicators that you're looking at. And I think one of the things, especially for someone who's new, uh, if you have too many indicators, it's very easy to have them giving you uh, contraindications, I guess. You know, oh, this, this, is, this is telling me something that's bullish. This is telling me something that's bearish. Uh, and at the end, how do you kind of reconcile maybe some of those mixed signals that some of your indicators are giving you? That's a great question. And I want to really stress that some of the seasonality, sentiment, option stuff are all secondary measures. At the end of the day, if the market is in a strong uptrend, we're above the 50-day, above the 10-week, and stocks are setting up, especially when stocks are acting well, that overrides everything. So to directly answer what happens when you have a conflicting signals, uh, I'm using the price action of stocks. If we have many stocks in different sectors moving out of bases, they're breaking out on strong volume, they're holding their breakouts, that's gonna override everything because that is truly, uh, to me, the greatest leading indicator in the markets. And then back to the fundamental story side really quickly, if we could, before we wrap up, what makes the difference between two stocks that have, have a lot of similar characteristics? They're, they're both growing nicely, seeing accelerating growth. They seem to be leaders in their, in their field. How do you determine which of the two that you should go with on that fundamental story, which one is going to be the one that has the biggest promise in its field? How do you make that, that determination? Yeah, the, I mean, I would try to go with the one that has most criteria that matches the biggest winners, but if they are, you know, the biggest winners throughout history, but if they are very similar, there's nothing wrong with buying both. For example, when you have a very strong sector, sometimes you can see many stocks in that sector doing well before you eventually get the true leader. So I think there's nothing wrong with maybe buying instead of a full position, maybe a half position in both and seeing how they act. And then you can make your decision from there after you get uh, you know, a few weeks or a few months of price action. Yeah, this is all great stuff. And when we come back, we'll go ahead and take a look at some of the stocks that might be fitting some of these extra indicators that Joe Fami is talking about. Stay tuned. Fidelity Investments is hiring licensed financial professionals now. Reach your career goals with the support of a financial lender impacting customers and employees' lives for over 70 years. We're hiring now with remote roles nationally. 
So if you thrive on helping others, if you're self-motivated, find career growth at Fidelity. Find stability you can count on. Find the flexibility you want and the opportunities you need. Find your Fidelity. Visit series7.fidelitycareers.com. Fidelity is an equal opportunity employer. Welcome back to Investing with IBD, sponsored by Fidelity. Allie and Justin here with our guest, Joe Fami, And we're going to take a look at a couple of interesting ideas. Now, Joe, I know you're really hot on what's going on in the chip sector. I mean, there are chips in everything. So it's a very key sector and we're keeping a close eye on it. But what are you seeing right now that's looking interesting in the space? Yeah, we were talking earlier about how some of the value and opening up the economy stocks have been in good uptrends. But within growth, I like to gravitate more towards growth stocks. And I like to pay attention to some of the strongest stocks within growth. And when I run my screens every night, I've noticed consistently uh, the most consistent uh, growth sector that showed up is semiconductors. Uh, so SMH is one of the main ETFs for uh, the, the chip sectors. And I think it's uh, a good way. A lot of people say, well, there's a lot of different uh, chips. Some are uh, that are involved in different verticals and so forth. But I just think this is a good way to give you broad exposure uh, to the market. And it's actually working on a base. If you actually look at it, it's very similar to the NASDAQ where it topped out in uh, early February, but it's working on a nice base now and uh, showing some decent accumulation. It's back above its 50 day. And I think this eventually resolves to the upside as well. So maybe coiling coiling up for a move to the upside, but digging deeper into some of the components or you know interesting names in the group, it's really the chip equipment makers. I mean, you have NVIDIA of course, but I think a lot of the chip equipment makers have been uh, showing some interesting action as of late. Yeah, that's a great point. Within the sector, uh, as we know, there's a chip shortage and I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon because of the process that's involved and, and who's going to benefit the most are the chip equipment mm -hmm. makers within semi. So if you take a look at SMH and you look at that high back in February, you draw a line or just look at that, that um, uh, how it was about two call it just below 260 and it's below 250 now when you compare relative strength the chip equipment names are already above that february high so one example would be amat and if you look at that february high of 124 the stock is uh, roughly 124 the stock is building a base above that level some of the other large cap ones uh, like asml for example uh, there's so many of them. You can also see where that topped out in February, a little over 600, and now is approaching 700 and working on a new base. So I like to pay attention to relative strength within the group, the stocks that are the strongest. There's also a small cap name, full disclosure, that I do own, CAMT, uh, which is an um, Israeli company. It happens to be in, in, in Kathy Wood's Israel Innovation Fund. I like to also uh, be in some of the smaller cap names that's doing it's well above uh, its February high uh, and actually just got upgraded this morning. So they got some new orders recently. So within chips, I've noticed that specifically the semiconductor equipment names are holding up the best. Now, you also alluded to NVIDIA. So also within chips, some of the chip makers, um, NVIDIA is holding up much better uh, than like, for example, the Intels and AMDs of the world, because this is the true leader in chips that are they're involved in so many 
verticals, not just gaming, but AI and machine learning and data centers and so forth with their acquisition of Mellanox. So they're, and they're also working on a new uh, acquisition with Arm Holdings. So they're just getting involved in so many of the futuristic and leading uh, sectors that are, that are upcoming. And something that's, again, I, I just want to make sure that people, uh, you know, who aren't watching the video, um, maybe make a mental note here to go back and look at these charts of some of these stocks you're talking about, because I think one of the things that really sets them apart that you alluded to is that whole relative strength idea. You look at the relative strength lines on some of these stocks that you're mentioning, uh, you look at the chart and, you know, exactly as you said, these are the ones that are breaking up, you know, breaking out above those February highs, the relative strength line is at new highs, um, you know, very different picture than the overall overall sector, you know, so it just kind of goes to that point that not all chips are created equal. Correct. And the other thing I've noticed is we talked about earlier about uh, one of the characteristics of biggest winners is usually in the most recent quarter, you might have an uptick in the earnings and sales. So when you pull up something like an AMAT, um, or an NVIDIA, you can see the uptick in the earnings and sales where the acceleration in year-over-year -year revenue growth, the acceleration in year-over-year -year earnings growth. And it's a very common theme. If you pull up NVIDIA, same thing. Now, of course, I want to stress that I'm combining these strong fundamentals. So NVIDIA was growing about 50%, 57, 61, now 84, accelerating their revenue growth with a triple-digit uptick in earnings growth. But I want to stress the point that I'm combining these strong fundamentals with the proper, uh, make sure to buy them at the proper buy points. You don't want to chase them when they're too extended. You want to buy them as they're emerging out of consolidations and bases. But that's, again, going back to what we talked about, combining uh, strong fundamentals and strong technicals as well. How soon after you see a stock break out and become extended, do you feel like it, it sets up again for another buying opportunity? How long does that process take or how quick could it be to get in? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, statistically, after stocks break out of those common patterns, those cup with handles, double bottoms and so forth, they usually run about 20% before they run into some sort of a correction or, you know, sometimes a flat base, sometimes it's some sort of sideways uh, tight base or something like that. So uh, depending on your time frame, if people are traders or swing traders, you can take some profits when they start to break out. Or if you have a longer term time frame, get that strong entry point and be patient. But you also have to accept that it might, might, might most likely go through some sort of a consolidation. And then when it goes through consolidation, uh, as I know, the studies that you guys have done show that it's normal for a stock to visit its 50-day after it breaks out. And it's normal to have along the way up several visits to the 10-week along the way up. So that could be, in case you missed it, an area to enter the stock. Or if you're in it and looking to add to it, that could be an area to add to as well. And are you much into holding through consolidations? And I mean, you, you mentioned how NVIDIA is, you know, showed such strength in 2020. Um, but, you know, it really kind of had this long period of uh, consolidation, mm -hmm. didn't really go anywhere, consolidated some more. Um, so again, you could look at that as that coiling of a spring. Um, are you, do you tend to hold through something like that when you have that type of cushion that you might've gotten in 2020? For, for my style, and it's a great question. I think it's just a matter of style and it's personal right. preference. I always say, do what works for you. For my style, 
I'm looking for after they break out and get a little bit of extended to take profits into those moves, especially after a second or third stage base. And then if I might miss a little bit more upside, it's okay. So I do, I tend not to hold to those consolidations. Even if I sell a little bit early, some of the names in 2020 just started when, when Nvidia went from 300 to close to 600, it was starting to get extended from a proper base, extended from its 10 week. It had a big up day. I know that's one of the O'Neill sell rules, maybe sell when it gets closer to a really big up day, it moves four, five, seven points, and then it jumps 20, 25 points yeah. in a day and a big gap. That could be a sign. And that's usually where I'm looking to take profits if I still have a position in it. Mm -hmm. And that was a great discussion on chips, and we agree that they are, are worth watching. There's a lot of compelling action there and fundamentals to back those up. But let's move on and take a look at Align Technology, ALGN, forming a base next to base uh, here, Joe. What is compelling to you about Align? Yeah, this is another example of trying to combine all the factors as possible. So technically, I, I love that you pull up the weekly chart. You can see that four out of the past five weeks, there are some tight closes in the base. Um, and it's roughly been consolidating well after a big move. So technically, it's just, again, those tight closes, just to repeat, show uh, signs of institutional accumulation. And then when you go to the daily chart, you can also see a nice acceleration in the earnings and sales where they went from negative year over year in the past few quarters with a huge uptick in earnings and sales in their most recently reported quarter. So it's a nice uh, technical story with a nice base being formed. It's a nice fundamental story. Now, this is where I add also a little bit of my own flavor where uh, back in May, there were 2000 January 600 calls bought. That's where I use the unusual option activity. That sticks out to me because that's not your grandmother or grandfather buying a few options contracts. That's a $13 million uh, option um, uh, purchase. So again, it's not a guarantee, but that's a big institution trying to get a position for a longer term play through the options market. And then again, in, um, in June, in early June, there was 1500 August 600 calls, another big purchase. So that's how I'm combining great story with a new product. I know a lot of people know Invisalign, but it's fairly new and they're still expanding internationally. You're combining strong technical, strong fundamentals with unusual option activity, again, to increase your probabilities of success. Now, healthcare and medical has been one of those areas that, and I mean, the biotechs, that's been an area that's been struggling a little bit as, as of late, but I feel like in going through my own screens, uh, I'm certainly seeing a lot more in this sector. Is that, um, is that one of those things where you're seeing a shift uh, overall? Yeah, I would add this with semiconductors as far as within growth. I've, I would say semiconductors and medical products are two of the more, uh, you know, stronger sectors that are sticking out in growth. And I'm noticing a lot of medical products and um, uh, medical equipment, medical mm -hmm. services. And it kind of makes sense with a lot more elective procedures. Right. Mm -hmm. it's, it's in a weird way, it is kind of a reopening play because mm -hmm. uh, a lot of procedures were postponed during the pandemic. So I've noticed a lot more picking up and that's where you know, that their earnings might have slowed down last year because of that, but they're picking back up as more elective procedures are being done. 
So with the unusual options activity that you noted in this stock, it seemed like that coincided with these pullbacks to the 50 days. So did, did that give you uh, the conviction that you needed to get in on, on these couple of pullbacks here in the stock? Yeah, yeah. Full disclosure, I do own it for clients, and I I would just use you know some sort of a stop below the base, or if it as long as, long as it continues to hold that ten week, I use that as my guide. But that's a great point. I think that it is again, it's why it's called unusual that some big institutions are coming in with large blocks of contracts. As always, nothing's guaranteed, but it's the added conviction to your point that might give me uh, the conviction to maybe add to a position or to maybe hold through this consolidation until we, um, you know, until it hopefully breaks out. Or sometimes it's something that just, you know, it, it draws your attention to it. And then once you kick the tires on all the other points, right. uh, you know, there, there's, there's so many different ways to get ideas, um, but you still have to go through your process to make sure that the idea is valid. So. That's a great point. At the end of the day, as I said, it's still the strong fundamentals and technicals. These are just additional, mm -hmm. uh, just sort of, uh, you know, sprinkles on top that I add to add a little bit of flavor to my, my process. Okay. And last but not least, let's chat about Albemarle ticker ALB. It's uh, carving up the right side of a base after pulling back to its 50 day line. What stands out to you about this chemical stock? I mean, we've been tracking the chemicals names pretty closely here, but it looks like Albemarle hasn't been one yet that's made an explosive move in recent months, but maybe it's getting ready to, what do you think? Yeah, so starting off technically, I think it looks like a great base. And one characteristic of a cup with handle is usually you have a prior uptrend. Um, you know, one of uh, your colleagues who's been on IBD Live, David Ryan, in his Market Wizards interview, he talks about, I like stocks that have already doubled because he said, and I'm paraphrasing him, because it, they've proven that they can double. So the stock did make a move from roughly 90 to 180 or so and, and just huge, huge volume. So technically, it looks great. You can also see some tightness three, four, five weeks ago in the base. So technically showing institutional accumulation. Again, after a big move, consolidating well, technically it looks great. Uh, fundamentally, I think this is a great way to play the EV, the electric vehicle space, because it's not just Tesla anymore. There's why Ford and GM are doing well and other car makers are doing well is because they're basically saying almost all their future cars are going to be electric. So this is a great way with the lithium demand to play the, the boom that's upcoming in electric vehicles. And then when you go back to um, the fundamentals, it's also... An, an acceleration in earnings and sales growth. So similar to the last stock where you have strong technical, strong fundamentals, and then it also happens to have some unusual option activity in the January 160 calls. There was a 2.5 million uh, purchase that are sitting in open interest. So that could be a conviction play that, you know, over by, Jan by January, this, could, this stock could be breaking out and be higher. So you, you talked a little bit about the fundamentals and here again, this is kind of a different picture where, you know, it did have some, uh, you know, some negative numbers, you know, the, the, the growth wasn't there for a while. And so this is a little bit of that turnaround situation. So how do you look at that, you know, that acceleration when you're coming from uh, growth that, you know, was, was on a downtrend and now has shifted? Do you look for a certain uh, amount of power, I guess, behind the turnaround to tell you, hey, this is something there's something there. 
something special? Yeah, I mean, I think bases are formed during corrections and bases are formed when, you know, at the end of the day, earnings and sales is what, for the most part, drives a company. And the earnings and sales were very strong. They went from three, four dollars to close to six dollars. And then when the pandemic hit and a slowdown hit, that's what caused the slowdown in the stock. So kind of what we talked about before, sometimes the technicals start to set up in anticipation of a turnaround. And I think this is a turnaround play where the estimates are for them to pick up and return to that strong profitability, that five, $6 a share that they were earning before. So it's a strong play, strong technicals. And I think the technicals are um, possibly leading uh, what could be strong uh, uh, fundamentals upcoming. And let's talk about pinpointing a proper entry here because it is 7% below the traditional pivot still of the, the left side high at 188.45. But do you know you like pullbacks? So did you look at this last rebound off of the 50-day line or even clearing the high around 172 in the base opportunities to get into the stock? Or, or is it still actionable even at these levels? Yeah, I, st I still think it's viable. I, full disclosure, I bought it on 527 on that big volume day coming out of that little consolidation. On the, you can see that big volume there. Uh, I, was, I, I don't mind cheating a little bit uh, as it's forming the right side of the base. I know William O'Neill always says, don't buy at the bottom of the base, let it prove itself and form the right side. But as the technicals get strong and it's starting to prove itself, I don't mind buying a starter position a little bit earlier. And then if you have a cushion, you can look to add to it. That way I'm trying to adapt to the markets and not buy and wait for that 10 cents above the pivot. I like to use the strong technicals to cheat a little bit. And that way also with a lighter position, if you're wrong and it does break down, I make sure to have a stop in place so you don't get hit as bad. So I'll position size a little bit earlier as it's building the right side of its base. And you know what, I'm going to defend your position here a little bit, because I'd say that William O'Neill would be okay with this. Um, and part of this is defending my own position, because I own some as well. And I bought it on that <laughs> yes. same day, you know, and this this wasn't Great at the bottom of the alike. base. Exactly. This wasn't at the bottom of the base, but it really was, the way I looked at it was kind of this handle formation and kind of breaking the downtrend. And um, I, I saw Bill do that a lot of times where he was looking for that early entry. Yeah, he wasn't going in with the full position necessarily. Um, you know, it was kind of that starter position. And hey, if it worked, then, you know, he would add to it. And if it didn't, then he had less money on there, which was at a potentially, uh, you know, maybe a higher risk entry. And so uh, the, that smaller position uh, at least got him started. And again, nothing nothing puts something on your radar more than having money in it, right? Oh, uh, I agree somewhere. 100%. And it's a great point. Let's just use round numbers. If you wanted to buy 100 shares, maybe you can start with a quarter at 25 and then see how it acts. It moves mm -hmm. on great volume and then it goes sideways on lighter volume. That's a good sign of good price action. And then maybe as it starts to move, you can dollar cost average higher and buy another 25 so that by the time to Justin's point, by the time you get to that 188, you might have already have a full position right. with a 10, $15 lower price, uh, price, average price. And especially when we've been in these range bound, you know, time periods, uh, yes. sometimes by the time the breakout happens, uh, it, you know, it starts fizzling. So if you can get a little bit more cushion, any edge you can get uh, helps, uh, especially when, when things have been oh, yeah. around lately. Well, uh, Joe, I got to thank you for, you know, coming on and just yeah, you know, sh sharing so all this wisdom with everyone. Uh, so, you know, uh, we'll definitely be having you on again. We just had you on 
uh, IBD Live on Friday. So for people that missed that, uh, definitely check that out at investors.com slash IBD Live. Um, and for those that didn't catch your March 3rd podcast when you were on the show, I think that's definitely worth a, a good listen. And, and your one before that too. I mean, there's just, uh, you always impart such great, great wisdom. So thanks again for coming on the show. Yes, definitely. No, it's a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you so much for uh, having me. It's always a pleasure uh, talking markets with you guys. So thank you again. On next week's show, we're going to have Larry Cordisco. He's the co-chief investment officer at Core Equity of Oberweiss Capital Management. And so he's going to be on the show. Make sure you tune in for that. Uh, On behalf of Ali and myself, uh, thank you for joining us today. And make sure you tune in next week. We'll see you next time. And for this week's notes and charts, make sure to go to investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.